The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We are um, so glad that you're here with us today. I know it's the end of spring break, and now it finally feels like spring. It didn't start off that way, and so those of you who are off um, kind of got a little cool weather there, but... Uh, it turned off, uh, the end of the week turned off a lot better. Uh, I want to thank you for um, the prayers for my family and, and Laura and um, her mother. We appreciate that and um, uh, everything that, that people have said. Also mindful of others um, who are part of this congregation who are dealing with um, cancer and other things, mindful of Tanya and um, Gerald who is in the hospital and Faye who is at home and uh, just keep all those individuals in your prayers, if you will. We are in the middle of Romans, and so if you have a Bible, you might want to open to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to spend a couple weeks here, a very important chapter, but I want to begin by uh, just reading um, some of the first few verses of this chapter. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now, Romans 8 is one of these great chapters in the Bible. And there are many recognizable verses in this chapter that that people know and that people quote. It is at the heart, the center of Romans. But we need to take a moment and understand how Romans works before we look at this magnificent chapter. And again, we'll spend a couple weeks here in Romans 8. 
again, as I've already said, Romans is Paul's longest letter. It is a letter of theological depth. means it's meaty. It's deep. And not all scripture is the same. Some is milk and some is meat. Uh, some is easy to understand and some is more difficult. There are parts of the Bible that anyone can open to, read it, and comprehend it. There are other parts that require some in-depth study. They might require some, some knowledge of biblical themes, maybe other books, and perhaps even a teacher. You'll remember in Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian eunuch was riding in his chariot and he was reading a scroll of Isaiah when Philip approached this man and he asked him if he understood what he was reading. And the man replied, how can I unless someone guides me? Now this Ethiopian eunuch, he had interest in scripture. He had likely spent a good deal of money to purchase a scroll of Isaiah. Most people in that day could not read, and very few of them had enough money to even have a scroll of one of the books of the Bible. And so we know that this man was interested in God. We know that he was interested in God's word. But he was also a man who recognized that Isaiah can be a difficult book to understand on one's own. And so he required someone who had devoted themselves to studying scripture and could help explain it to him. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, the inspired apostle acknowledges that some of Paul's letters are hard to understand. When we read Romans, we need to keep all of this in mind. Because what happens is it's easy to find a verse or two in Romans that are meaningful. Verses that we like to quote. But Romans is something that needs to be taken as a whole. The, the things that are in Romans are all related to one another. It's like a giant web. And so what Paul has written about sin, what he's written about salvation what he's written about grace, what he's written about baptism, and more, all of these things go together. You can't just come to Romans and take the grace parts and then ignore what Paul has to say about living the Christian life. Romans is a beautiful masterpiece that should not be picked apart. Well, so far, Paul has talked about the human condition we are all sinners in need of saving. He has outlined how the law is unable to justify us. The only thing the law can do is condemn. It reveals our sinfulness because we cannot follow it perfectly. Therefore, we must be saved by something else. And so what can save us? There's only one thing. And that's God's grace. There's nothing we can do to merit our own salvation. Since we are saved by grace, does this mean that we can live just however we want to? Absolutely not. When we are baptized, we die to sin and we are made alive to God. 
And so we need to keep all this in the background as we start to read Romans chapter 8. Because this is a chapter that has sin, salvation, and baptism, all of that in mind. But it's also a chapter that's looking ahead to some things in the future. And so the chapter opens with a bombshell. Paul makes his point as clear as day. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. If you are in Christ, then you don't have to worry about salvation. Why? Well, because we are justified by grace. Now, if we were justified by law, then we would have to constantly worry whether or not we were saved. We would have to wonder if we were good enough. We could never have assurance of our salvation. But because we are saved by grace, we can know that we are saved. And how do we know if we are saved? We know if we are in Christ. So how does one know if they are in Christ? Well, Paul points to two things that show whether or not a person is in Christ. And the first is found back in uh, Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, 3 and 4. That's why you kind of, you have to flip pages in Romans to remind yourself of what Paul's already said and written. Back in Romans 6, he writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism and to death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism puts a person into Christ. Baptism is where we, see, we receive forgiveness of sins. It's where we die to our old self and we are made alive in Christ. Baptism is where... As Brian read this morning, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our baptism is a reminder of the assurance of our salvation. And so if you ever begin to doubt your salvation, Paul's saying here, remember your baptism. Because that's the moment that put you into Christ. It is the moment that turned your life around. And this leads to Paul's second indicator that you're in Christ. You can know that you're in Christ if you have the Holy Spirit. And so Romans 8 verse 11, Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit spirit who dwells in you. And so we receive the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. And Paul wants all Christians to know that if you have the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, then he will also give life to you and you also have the future promise of resurrection. Okay? And so we know we have the Holy Spirit if we've been baptized. But we also know it because it produces life in us. And Paul returns again to something he began discussing in in chapter 6. There are two ways to live. You are either serving sin or you're serving God. It's one or the other. And if you serve God, then the Spirit 
helps you do what the law could not. The Holy Spirit helps us to live a righteous life. Listen to how Paul sums this up in in verses 5 through 10. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." And so the the prophets long ago in the Old Testament, they looked forward to a time when God would give his people a new heart and a new spirit. We see this in several different passages. One of them is Ezekiel 36, 26. Jeremiah talks about this. And so grace is not about avoiding righteousness. Grace is not a free ticket to do whatever we want. We receive the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. And that spirit, Paul says, helps us to obey the law, helps us to live righteously. And we know we have the spirit because the spirit produces fruit in our lives. We cannot become the person we need to be on our own. We need the help of the spirit. And if we're trying to do it all on our own, then we're going to fail. We need God's help. We need to surrender our lives to God so that he can work in our lives. And so the goal for each and every one of us is to become like Jesus. We were created in the image of God. But because we have sinned, sin has distorted that image. And so when we are baptized, we enter into a journey where we are molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. But this is only possible because of the help of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul puts it this way, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, there are a couple of mistakes that a person could make on this journey. And the first is if we try to do everything on our own. And this is a temptation for a lot of people. Uh, Many of us are independent. We like to do things on our own, especially men. We're really guilty of this. And I admit I'm one of them. Um, And so guys do things like we refuse to stop and ask for directions. Um, You know, we can be completely lost with no chance of finding our destination. And somehow we believe in our minds that we can will ourselves to find the place that we're looking for, even though that's completely impossible. You know, Uh, we don't, we do things like we don't like to read instruction manuals. 
We think we can get all the pieces out there and, and you know, it, it seems simple and we can just put it together. We don't need the instructions. And we figure out that it's not quite that simple. And, and we often discover that we need more help than we think. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life. We need God's help. And the quicker we realize this, the better off we're going to be. Uh, The second mistake that people sometimes make is they think they don't have to do anything. They think they can just sit back, live however they want, and let God to simply fix them, you know. And this is somewhat related to the question that Paul poses in chapter 6. You know, is it possible for me to live however I want and think that grace is going to uh, cover me? And Paul answers that with a resounding no. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul talks about the transformation that is made with the help of the Spirit. But he also talks about something that we must do. He says, we must behold the glory of the Lord. So what does that mean? It means we meditate on God's Word. It means we pray. It means we fast. It means that we help the poor because in helping the poor, we behold the face of Jesus, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. And so we must do our part. But we can be encouraged that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is in us and helping us along the way. And so how does all this work? Well, I'm not sure we can answer that. We live in a world of precision. You know, we love stats. We love figures. We want to see the breakdown and analysis of every game, every election, every TV show, and on and on. Well, there are some things that were not meant to be dissected or overanalyzed. There are some things that are beyond us, and God is one of them. There's much that we can know about God, but there are also things about God that simply remain a mystery. We know that God works in our lives, but we cannot break it down into a spreadsheet nor should we even try to do that. What we do know is that Paul and others, as we read these inspired authors, they never take credit for the good things that happen in their lives. They give God all the credit. They let God receive all the glory, and they refuse to take any glory themselves. God is so much greater than we are, and he can do things that are impossible for us to do on our own, and for this, we should be thankful. And so if you're ever asked about something in your life that someone finds remarkable, maybe it would be wise to remember an answer that Stacy King gave once long ago after a memorable night. It was a night, uh, Stacey King, he played for the Bulls, and uh, this was his rookie year. And on this night, uh, Michael Jordan scored 69 points in one game. 69 points in one game. And Stacey King, who was a rookie that year, he got a little bit of playing time that night. 
And afterwards, he was asked about this historic night. And this is what he said. I'll always remember it as the night Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. You know. <laughs> and I think that that's the way it is with us and God. You know, our efforts pale in comparison to his. But God still wants us to give it all that we got. He wants our effort even if it means we only score one point and he scores the other 69. God is there with us every step of the way to make sure that we reach that goal that is set before us. And so we must say along with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are not a distant God. We thank you that you have given us free will, that we are able to make our own decisions. But we're also very thankful that you work in our lives. We understand that we are sinful human beings and it is our desire to want to be like your son. And we recognize that we cannot do this on our own. And therefore, we are thankful for your Holy Spirit who lives in us and who helps us along the way. Father, be with us as we continue on this journey. Be with us as we meditate on your holy word, as we pray, as we live the Christian life from day to day. We're so thankful for all your blessings. We're thankful for your guidance and your wisdom and your mercy and your grace. We're thankful for Jesus and his life, which we're able to read about in your word. And we're most thankful for the sacrifice that he made, which makes grace possible. We pray this in his name. Amen.